From the home offices of Ash and Flow, this is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around to listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. I guess we're back, Flo. Yes, we are back to this new episode of the Unbelows Podcast. Yeah, and uh, today we've got an interesting topic based on an HBR article, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we wanted to do a little bit of a reading series today. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, because discussion about I... this article, which is obviously, you know, the key thing, yeah. Yeah, with some a little piece in the Harvard Business Review November December issue. Hey, is that only two months? I don't even know. I guess it is November uh, December right now. Yeah, you should probably call people what it's tell people what it's called. It's called "What Rainmakers Do Differently." Um, it's written by oh. Matthew Dixon, Ted McKenna, Rory Jenner, and Karen Freeman. All mm-hmm. of them, I think. Uh, come from the same consulting firm called DCM Insights. People might know Matthew Dixon, who wrote things like the Challenger Sale, right? So he's been in this. Yeah, and I think Ted McKenna and him wrote The Jolt Effect. Quite a bit. The Jolt Effect, I have another book he wrote, or co-wrote, I think, uh, has been recommended to me. I have yet to read it, but just, just put that out. So... These people wrote about what Rainmakers do differently, and they specifically talk about Rainmakers, of course, being the great business development champions in professional services firms. Making it rain. Yeah, and their article summary, I think, correctly states that doer sellers, right? I always say it the other way. Yeah, about yeah. As doer sellers, or I, as I say it, seller doers, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Professional services partners are responsible for not just delivering service, but also the entire business development process. Yeah, uh, yeah, by and large, correct. Not sure if they deliver the. I mean, policy. they do a huge. They chunk certainly of it. don't update the CRM, am I right? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, just kidding. So, and then the sentence says, and I think this is the reason why we wanted to discuss this: as rainmakers, they must build awareness of their expertise in the market to generate demand, identify opportunities, and so forth. This is where you and I sort of looked up and shook our heads because we said, "Nah, marketing should do that bit." They then should come in and pick up the opportunities marketing generates. But okay, that's a matter for discussion. We can have, people can fight us over that in the comments. But I think what's interesting here is that in the article, then they proceed to discuss how the this selling thing, doing model, still very much alive and kicking, but it's facing some challenges in the marketplace. And listeners to the show will know those because you and I have repeated them to no end. What's interesting here is um, Dixon and colleagues, of course, always working the research base, they have actual statistics to make that introductory point. And I think we would maybe review those shortly. And we, I, I don't know, yeah, I, I think can, they are. Uh, yeah. Then we could maybe dive into their findings. They map the challenges and then they sort of identify different behavioral types of rainmakers or yeah, they, like how they deal with it. And then they benchmark those against each other. And there's one type of doing business development, which comes out as the clear winner. 
Yes, and, um, there were five, if I recall, the class yes, five of them. And I think it's not spoilers if I say you and I come to the conclusion that what these people are doing is actually very similar to marketing. So why not follow the train of thought here to its logical conclusion and invest yes. more in better marketing? God damn it, which is the motto of this I show. mean, let's be fair, in a lot of firms, business development, lead generation, marketing, sales, Unless they are in a huge prof service firm, they're all usually done by the same people. Sometimes you call them marketers, sometimes you call them biz dev, sometimes you have sales dev, sometimes what you're doing is just sales dev and they throw like 5 million as marketing budget, but it need not even be. But they're interconnected and related. And if you look at the old business models of sales and marketing being part of the same organization, it's still remnants of that. Yeah. Well, I th- when I think when I say okay, so that's a fair point to point out. And when I say do more marketing, I'm not saying give more of the work yeah. to the function that has the name. What I'm saying is think about the entire process. Think about the funnel uh, as more it's of connected. a marketing-led process, and marketing here being the discipline, right? The, the way mm-hmm. we do this, which is by we do more of it through mass media communications for lack of a better word right and less so more of the one-to-many stuff a bit less of the one-to-one stuff maybe that's the simplest of putting it either. yeah that's the best way to look at it because let's have people think about the funnels because there's one-to-many one-to-few and one-to-one one-to-one is where most of the in professional sales the big Thing happens one to many is where most marketing happens and one to few is where they intersect yeah so i mean this will become maybe important later and again right so 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 hold that thought uh, i like that but i think we we said it that they will open their article with the admission so to speak that the, the business development process is facing a few challenges and and again i i don't want to repeat our own stuff too many times but i think you and i have said this on the show many times the rise of the internet and then specifically the rise of buying stuff on the internet and um, using social media and search engines has led to profound changes in buying behavior Mm -hmm. and clients can now do things they could not do to that extent even 10 years ago i don't know right they can search information around a business issue, find good information. They can tap into social networks of peers, right? I'm a CFO at a global Fortune 500 company. You're a CFO. In the past, if we had not been friends and could have met for dinner, there was very few ways in which I would have just check in with you and ask a question like, what consultancy would you prefer for this entire engagement? Today, there's a bazillion, I don't know, LinkedIn and other groups out there. It's where the access has become very easy. So Many of these things have changed. So buyer behavior has changed. That's one thing. And then I think structurally, things in the economy have also changed. Uh, and all these are reasons for why the good old wine and dine way of business development is a bit under pressure. Interestingly, and so, okay, this is my recap over going back to the articles. Interestingly, there's also changes in the buying behavior that are not just correlated to how... Yeah clients find firms, but also then how the hiring and the engagement works. If I, if you allow, I'll, I'll just read this piece because I think yeah, it's, go it's good. So it says here in the article, for partners, becoming an effective business developer has long revolved around the central tenant. If you do good work and develop a strong relationship with your clients, they will come back to you the next time as a need arises. But there is a growing problem with this belief. 
and one that is rarely discussed openly. Clients, even long-standing ones, for whom firms have delivered in-questioned value, are much less loyal than they once were. So this, add that to the list of our reasons for why you need to do better marketing. It's not just that the buying behaviors and the ways in which you get new clients doesn't mm-hmm. change significantly. It's also that the relationship stuff with the old clients doesn't quite work as well as it used yeah, to be. Because so they, so they continue. Much, yeah, there's so much noise in the market. And let's also be fair that there's only a few big professional services firms and then everything is in the mid and small tier and just going by some of the recruiters and friends that we have the key people literally just jump between companies quite often and if that's the case the clients have the one-on-one relationships with them as opposed to you know the firm if you want to call it for lack of a better word and since these people also move, the relationships keep moving. So if you're looking at trying to make sure that your firm has this client uh, to do, you know, has this client for a specific job, it needs to rely a little bit on the firm rather than on the individuals. But the individuals are also really key. It's kind of like yeah. a nebulous gray area, but we don't talk about this usually. Yeah, you're right. And I think that, by the way, that is something they do not dwell on too long in the article, but it's it's a very important point. I think the opposite is true as well. And I touched upon this when we did the sort of short recap summary thing from the event I attended. It's not just your rainmakers that might move, but also on the client side, right? People can just age out of the relationship. Yeah. So... So that's important. But getting back to DCM's data here, what they mm-hmm. then say, continue to say is, a survey we conducted of roughly 100 C-level executives revealed that as recently as five years ago, mm-hmm. 76% of buyers preferred to buy again from partners or firms they had used in the past. So that's the all-good scenario five years ago, right? Seven out of 10 buyers yeah. will come to you. Interestingly enough, corresponds with a number I often hear that states that you, in terms of the revenue split, you should have, the consultancy should have 70% or so revenue from existing clients or pre-existing clients and 30% from net new to to have a healthy balance. Interesting how that Mm -hmm. lines up against. Now, this is where we get into the problem. This is where the the piece got interesting to me. Today, that figure is down to 53%. Ouch. And over the next five years, is expected to drop to 37%. So the good old, you know me, I know you, let's do business again, circumstance is not as reliable anymore. Yeah. They give an explanation, which I think makes sense. So-called soft spend categories, like management consulting, legal services, accounting, investment banking, PR, and executive search. Thank God they didn't mention marketing consulting. Once shielded by senior executives from personal procurement scrutiny, uh, from formal, sorry, shielded by senior executives from formal procurement scrutiny are now much more likely to be vetted as carefully as others spend categories. So essentially reason number one here is procurement gets in the way, right? The result is that buyers are no longer defaulting to established relationships with premium price providers and now consider a range of alternative service providers, mid-tier players and boutique firms. That's good news for the boutiques, right? I don't know. If you have a boutique that's large enough to step into the footsteps or whatever consulting behemoth came before you just in terms of manpower, I don't know, but 
Um, yeah, I'm almost done through the thing, right? Yeah. Piece I wanted to read. So the consulting firms, on the other hand, report an increase in RFP-driven purchasing, a slowdown in repeat business from key clients, and pressure on rates, billable hours, and advisory fees. In this environment, the widening gap between high performance and core performance ability to bring in business is troubling and has increased the urgency to understand what the best rainmakers do differently. They rely on effing marketing. My friend, no, that's actually not what they're fine. But I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any more reactions to that? That was the problem statement, so to speak, in there. No, I specifically to this problem statement. I feel like it makes. I want to. Uh, I want us to get into the details of what they're trying to say, and I'll hit it as we get in. Yeah, I mean, I would just add to this in terms of the why, why is there more less loyalty, more Peter buying, and so forth. I don't want to bring this up again because if I say AI too often, I'll owe you a drink or whatever. But I think this will accelerate now that AI is here and we read every yeah. day how much stuff can be automated. Some consultancies being in the press all the time with their AI investments and so forth. I think the expectation of by clients to see less hours being projected or included in those proposals, in those RFPs can will only increase. I mean, there's more elements to this but i can only see that adding to the pressure it doesn't it's not mentioned here so i don't know if that's included in their expectation for the stat to drop from 53 to 37 percent but i mean bottom line is they expect client loyalty to half so question yeah. is how do you make up for that the answer is you get better at new business right that, that I think you basically important. need to i think this is where Having multiple relationships with the same client is useful as well as fortifying your brand strength plus what yeah. plus solidifying what your you know market and channel what your journey strategy is. I guess that would be a better way to put it. Agreed. You know, to oh. to bring one of your old examples back, your target is not the entire automotive industry. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, it can't be. Not if you are to do this correctly. We, I guess we'll get into what it is. But you wanted to get hear what they get into or speak to what, what they get into. So what they get into is then I, I'll mm -hmm. save the listeners that I can read on their own time. They describe how they've expanded their research to identify certain practices in business development. And they use this to identify five distinctive profiles, which mm -hmm. characterize the partners of professional services firms. There's a disclaimer here, which I'll also repeat to be fair to them. They say, well, of course, an individual can exhibit traits from several different profiles, right? One of those, they say, will be dominant and they are different enough to make up for a helpful framework. Great. I like it. And we can get into this. So they list five profiles, which are called, I got to check checks notes, which are called the experts, the confidants, the debaters. <laughs> oh my God, have you called out the realists and the activators. And we can. I, I feel like we're not like if you're a good if you're a good closer and if you're a good negotiator, you would probably sit under more than one of these. Yeah, probably. But the SMEs so, would so, be the ones. The experts would be the ones that you rely on. The experts are not usually the ones who do the frontline sales. Some of them are, but not always. Okay. Because you need so, their expertise to help yeah, multiple uh, sales happen. I'll run you through those traits. So so. Yeah. In your head, imagine a character selection screen from any video game, and I'll, I'll run you through the profile. <laughs> so they say here, experts 
best described as reluctant business developers, right? So these are the guys who really know what they're doing. They they often says here, publish, speak, deliver thought leadership, and so on. Yep. And then wait for clients to seek them out for their services. And much of their work comes from requests for proposals and competitive pursuits. This is interesting to me because I think I feel slightly attacked here because this seems close to marketing or content marketing, which mm-hmm. which still has a place in my heart. But I think the assessment is correct by what they are implying here is they're saying this is it's good, but it's not necessarily enough anymore. And I would agree, especially if you are a profound expert and a thought leader in an arena where there's many of those, right? Which that's a realistic scenario in consulting, which is by definition a somewhat generic category with lots of competition. It's true. It's no longer, you can still win nice business by putting out great content and then having people come to you, but chances are more likely that'll create some visibility and interest, but it's not going to line up uh, deals and business opportunities like it did, I don't know, maybe even five, six years ago when nobody else was publishing on the internet. Every day I log on to LinkedIn, there's someone new posting videos, which aren't bad and are sort of helpful. Uh, there's the competition in the thought leader or expert space, I think, has just grown significantly. So, yeah, I can see why they write that about the expert profile. Sorry, small side, small tangent here. I wanted to go through the profile. So then they say there's the the confident. These are, those are the guys who do the great work, right? Extremely yeah, the, centric, yeah. highly responsive. Focus on building a reputation for superior work. Uh, as someone who had PL responsibility in an agency a while ago, I'd say these are the guys who overservice the account. Sorry. That helps because, yes, that increases the likelihood of being booked again, but that comes with a price. All right, fine. Interesting to note, they say here of all the partner profiles we identified, confidence are class- closest to the classic trusted advisor model. That is often held up as the gold standard in the industry. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that is true. I think over-service and jumping on too many client requests is, is seen as an issue by many. I'm, I'm not the only one, uh, certainly not, who sees it that way. Anyways, next profile is debaters, contrarians who have strong opinions about how projects should be executed and are unafraid to share them, often pushing clients outside the comfort zones. This is can be successful for the obvious reasons. It's maybe sometimes difficult for as they say here in their article, and I quote again, as one C-level client told us, quote, no, that's the quote they quote in the article, I want the partners I work with to push my thinking, but if every time you sit down and being told I'm doing it wrong, it just becomes mentally exhausting. Now, this is where I think a little bit, like I'm a, I'm, by that typology, I'm a debater, and I know many pretty strong and excellent consultants who also are. I don't know anyone who would fit the profile of always saying every time stuff is wrong i i don't i think that's a bit of an exaggeration on i don't know i feel like we always do that between ourselves it's just the fact that i think here's what i suspect when debaters come across each other and they have to debate more they can't be contrarian all the time because it doesn't you know it's literally two by two people like negating the other person each other consistently so when debaters come together, they probably switch roles into yeah. another area just because it fits. And also, like I was saying at the start, it's likely that we would fit more than one role, depending upon what we are trying to achieve. 
I also think, I mean, connecting this back. Okay, so, okay, for point taken, for, for, for things to call out is, right? The, mm-hmm. t- tying this back to, or, or maybe even regardless of h- how helpful or not is in a specific client relationship, I can totally see that the debating stance is not helpful in business development because maybe the people you tell, you have to tell they're doing it wrong during an engagement. Yes. If that's justified. Maybe those are the influences of the buying champions of the people who you would like to start the relationship with so they can bring you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you start the relationship at the very outset by saying, you know what your problem is, you don't doing this very right, that can be problematic. It can, be it can backfire if you go hard, but at the same time, you kind of need to at certain points. Yes, there's a balance, there's a strike, which is, that's what leads me to say, I don't think there's too many dividers that reflect this cliche they're building up here. Because if you do this long and successfully enough to make partner, you will have learned to strike the balance along the way. I think uh, I, I think we should have just put a simple caveat. As with any categorizing mechanism for people, be it what we're seeing here, be it people using Myers Briggs, be it people using astrology, these are generalizations and people only yeah, fit sure. to a certain degree. And that must be a caveat. So if you, we would assume that everyone who's listening has, you know, been in this game for long enough that it is always best to not qualify oneself into one group or the other, but take the best of each that yeah. you see within yourself I- to do it. Yeah, like you said, to be successful, you'll need traits from all of this. And I think I like this idea, the longer I think about it, now you bring it up again. Even if your marketing strategy or your brand strategy or the messaging you use should take, should have elements of all of these. I really like that idea. Okay, we're moving on through the categories here. So their next guy, following the debaters are the realists. Essentially, mm-hmm. these are the guys who don't overstate their capabilities. Yes. They don't overcharge the clients and they will always fight hard for a realistic deadline versus the one the client wants to hear. So again, quoting from the article a little, mm-hmm. these partners aim to avoid putting themselves in no-win situations and also helps to increase trust over time. This is what they they found in their research. So only 10% of respondents said that their trust in partners and friends has increased over the past five years. And then apparently in the cases where this happened, it was a realist on the other side doing the work. Turning our attention back to business development or marketing, the, the downside of this is if you are the guy who always tells everybody, oh yeah, we can do this, but it'll take twice as long as you expect and it'll cost uh, 50% more or whatever, that of course can make things difficult in, at the very outset of forming new relationships, which brings us to the Most last problem. Activators and network builders, they spend a significant portion of their business development time identifying and engaging with prospective clients through tools such as LinkedIn at industry firm-sponsored events. Activators focus on establishing relationships across client functions and up and down the org chart. Dare I say, they do one too many communications. And, I think uh, what we need to say is that Activators are not just the external network builders, but they're also the internal network builders. Yes. Because they're the ones who, like, yes, you need to make sure that they're there at all. The, I mean, <clears throat> if you are playing the activator role, let, let's classify that's the role here and, rather than the person. Yeah. The person. If you're playing the activator role, you would be at the network events, the conferences, the social platforms where everyone is, start the conversation, drive the conversation, 
But then you also go back to your internal groups to make sure that's there. They often, in a large organization, likely to be working on the account teams as opposed to working on the specializations because they're the ones who would be connecting with the clients, talking to them all the time, then going within their organization to say who are the special expertise. People who can talk about this and who have the materials as well as like what are the new things that we can tell our clients who can help deliver these and how can we then further markets? They are activating intern, I mean, externally and internally is all I'm saying. Yeah. So, so I'm now paraphrasing a little bit and I'm putting words in, in the author's mouth, which is probably not fair to do, but the way I read this, let's put it that way, is that yeah. the, I was reading this and I was wondering, okay, what's the difference between the expert and the activator? All right. Then I yeah. went back and I was like, ah, okay, the expert is the ivory tower guy or girl who just sits at their desk, writes stuff, publishes it, but minus the activation part. So there's no extrovert going out there connecting to people, but whether that's in social networks yeah. or in in-person events, which then again, I can see why this is effective, but this is also where I think we can discuss a little bit. I don't know if it's a criticism of the article. It probably isn't. It's just a thought. Neither of these profiles make that much sense to me, stand alone, right? Yeah. Because if this were not partners and partner profiles we're talking about, but those were marketing, ways of doing marketing, we would probably say, oh, the expert guys are creating content all the time. So there's publishing, publishing, but there's no distribution. The mm-hmm. activators network and distribute all the time, but what is it they are saying? that gets them the attention when they're in the room or that gets them invited to the event. And I think this is where this is a little bit missing. It's very hard for me to imagine someone being able to be an activator if, unless they have been equipped with at least something interesting to say beforehand, or uh, unless they are themselves experts who have interesting stuff to say because they know their stuff, right? So I'm not sure how distinct these two profiles are. Whatever it is, again, back to your point, you'll probably need both you need to create insightful helpful expertise content and then you need to engage the target audiences in places where they already are to make sure that content gets seen and talked about yes which leads me to the conclusion we already gave away at the beginning that is when what we mean when you talk about doing strategic marketing so the conclusion here of this profile because they then compare performance is surprisingly that the experts do worst uh, in terms of um, the, sorry, I should be clear on how they do the analysis. So if a probably hypothetical average performing partner leans harder into a particular profile, right? So you're sort of, we're still in the character building screen, right? And you're sort of neutral and then you pump more points into one of the five than into the others, right? Here's how this goes. If you lean hard into activator skills, that can result in revenue generation increase of up to 32%. I'd be very interested in, in the underlying methodology here, but okay, so. You know what, essentially, plus. based upon what if, was written and based upon what I'm seeing here, they're, they're, they're literally telling you that if you are a partner you need to be charismatic but you know what i think this is and, and this is not me leaning my stigma neck out really far and again it's not 
saying it's a criticism of the article, but it's my little bit duh moment. I think what this says is, if you talk to more people in your target market with a high frequency, Yes, yes, that will lead to greater to more opportunities over time. So this is a little bit of the 1990s advertising reach and frequency, reach and frequency argument, <laughs> which is not wrong. Mm-hmm. It just omits the tiny fact that reach and frequency must be driven with content that is relevant. So, so this is what I don't get. So the activator skills yields an increase of up to 30%, 2% in, in results. Whereas if you lean too hard in the expert profile, that sees your uh, your results drop by 15%. Here's what I thought when I saw the chart. I thought, well, I can see that because the content that the expert now generates more of, what happens to it, the activator takes it and talks it talks about it to people because they're out there being the activator and they then, so it's, it causes an error of attribution, right? The activator gets all the credit because they distribute it well, this is which the expert had written in, in, in the thing. So all that together, and I don't know if you agree, Ash, but having read that, I think this is a an interesting and oriented on partners and sales and selling habits way of just proving what we've said a dozen times during this podcast. Yes. Marketing-led business development works because it does these two things. It helps you to create expert content and then distribute it and the profile items they have, you like the realist, right? Don't overpromise, or the debater, challenge clients' thinking, or the confident, be approachable and vulnerable, and so forth, so that people can can put their trust in you and maybe give a little bit extra here and there. These are, if you talk about marketing, just elements of how it gets played. Would you agree? These are not super these distinct. Are all... These are not distinct, but these are the ways in which these are ways which should inform the content and should inform my distribution. But that's I I would the only thing I would say reading the article and look and our discussion is to not look at them as profiles, but look at them as skills that you need to do, which we explicitly talk about when we talk about strategic marketing. Because essentially at the end of the day, no one is a monolith. And you need to lean on certain skills to make yourself an effective expert who can challenge certain conventions, come up with the right ideas, connect the people, and then help activate the transformation that's needed on either side. And here's maybe in conclusion, the, the good news I think I could take from this or, or um, uh, and I know I, we're doing the article injustice by bending this toward, mm-hmm. towards the marketing spin, but that's just how I, I couldn't help myself thinking these thoughts as I was reading it. Um, if you have strong experts in your firm, mm-hmm. right? So they're not only good at what they do, but they're also good at writing about it. Yep. You can leave the activation to a capable marketing department. Like literally, there's no need to jet set around the country and do lots of networking events. That always helps. Yes. But you can do that with a cap- with a decent social media strategy. So you know what? And yes. the reason why I'm pointing this out to the few practice leaders or PL responsible folks in the audience is A, I think experts are overall maybe easier to come by. In firms, that's my prejudice, but I often find that there's a lot of people have an easier time describing what they do than they have, especially if they're deep experts in, in more technical fields. Uh, not everybody is an extrovert socialite. Like you said, a highly charismatic 
uh, person. So there's that. And then there's also a cost argument to this. And then this is the last bit I'll take from the article, and I think we can close. If you read this to the end, it says that activators tend to spend way more time on business development. So non-activators spend 37% less time on BD. And mm-hmm. the activators are doing this all the time. And they also believe that good work for clients will automatically lead to the next piece of business and then dedicate nearly as twice. So no need to look after the, the current clients. They dedicate nearly twice as much time to it. Sorry, I misread that. So the non-activators also believe that doing good work will lead to the next business result, which that is what they said at the beginning. That's the wrong take. The, yes. the uh, activators do think that's not true and they tend to strike a balanced approach. So when they do business development, they spend half the BD time on existing clients, half on new versus the others spend more time on existing. That makes sense, that was, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. But I think what is interesting here though is the prior statistic which is that the your activators if you have them will spend a significant amount of time in unbillable hours to reference this the name of this podcast or more unbillable hours than the non-activators and of that a lot of that time will be spent with non-existing relationships where there's a maybe a smaller overall chance of it leading to something in the current period the point i'm driving towards is that type of doing activation by having your partners do it, probably not a very favorable way of doing it from a cost perspective will be my guess. That is, if it's benchmarked against an effective marketing setup, right? Yes. Yeah. We have to look at it from a return on investment point of view. It doesn't help if marketing is cheaper. Marketing has to deliver as good results. But I think dice could be pulled off by the use by a decent use of modern media, clever ways of leveraging uh, those partners' time way better, and this is the idea I want people or I want I would like to leave people with. So do, do read the article. We put a note in the show notes. Yes, interesting. Take the key points here where I think relying on existing relationships becomes ever more risky, and finding new ones. You can't just be good at your job or write compelling pieces. You have to engage your target market with reaching frequency. Um, I think I said my recommendation would be to maybe do that for marketing. But cars cheaper yes. at even greater scale. Yeah. That's that, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. Do you have any points? So at this point, I feel like we have we've hit the nail. I'm, I've rambled on for long, but I, that article sort of it was interesting because it, it, it is a thought provoking which is a good one. Yeah. I know in my head a couple of times, but I also shook it in other places. And at the end of the day, we have just proven again that great content, great distribution of the combination it with does it. And I don't think activators alone, the activator alone doesn't win anything. It's my yeah. So I think the activator will have to have a strong point of view, expert content, helpful things to say. And yeah, Probably he and she or she's taking that from the experts to get the shitty results in this study. Anyways, let's leave it at that. Let's stop the recording here and I'll wish you a an excellent good weekend when we get to it. A good weekend when we get to it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Speak soon. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 